You're listening to a CNA podcast. Have you ever been to an Indian wedding? There's no mistaking the infectious beats, the intricate swirls on henna-covered hands, and don't even get me started on the food. But forget about wedding day. How about wedding week? Marriage is a monster market in India, and it can be opulent, over-the-top, celebrations sometimes lasting five days. It's an industry worth tens of billions. So who's spending all this money? And how stressful are these extravagant vow exchanges? Here are two people with some answers. India correspondents Neha Punya and Ishan Garg join me now from New Delhi. Hey guys, thanks for coming on today. Hi, Teresa. Thanks for having us. Hello. Hey, Teresa. I just attended my brother's wedding a couple of months ago in Vancouver in Canada. And he and his bride said, we want an intimate affair. We don't want anything fancy. So I want you guys first off to guess how many guests they had. Niha? Uh, 200. <laughs> okay, Ishan? I was going to go with 200 as well, but I'm going to go smaller. So maybe 125. <laughs> okay, not even close. My brother only had 12 guests. No, that that's 12. not true. That's not even a wedding by Indian standards. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly. a birthday party. <laughs> yeah, it was so small. It didn't feel like a wedding. Uh, obviously, comparing that to an Indian wedding. Uh, Neha, first off, tell me why is no expense spared when it comes to Indian nuptials? I think because in India, getting married is not about two people coming together, deciding to spend their lives together. It's about two families becoming one big family. There is no notion of a couple deciding to do a small wedding. And just for reference, I held a small wedding seven years ago, and I had 200 guests. And like we just discussed, that's not a small number, but even that was a huge struggle. Um, I think it's also a big event that people look forward to in their children's lives. It's something that they save money for, sometimes right from when their children are born. Uh, mothers start buying gold for their daughters' weddings, uh, you know, right after their daughters are born. It's something you plan for just like you would for a college education. And it's also a mark of your social standing, how grand your wedding is, you know, how much you can spend, how many food counters you can have, how big is your sangeet or your dance ceremony? Uh, do you have a professionally choreographed set? It's all something that's watched very carefully. It's analyzed very carefully by your relatives. And there's also this, you know, inside joke among families that once a wedding is over, people are going to go back and say, oh, you know, they didn't do this. They didn't spend on this. So everyone's very conscious of how they're being looked at by society. So it's it's not about the couple at all, <laughs> even though that's why everyone's coming together. It's about uh, the family celebrating. It's about the families getting to tell the people, look, our children are grown up. We've gotten them married. Our responsibility is over. <laughs> so you got married seven years ago. Ishan, you're smiling, laughing a bit there. You recently got married, right? Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yes, I got married in December. Yeah, and I feel like whenever I talk to the groom about their wedding, they have a very different take on the experience. Tell me about your big day. How big was it? It was as big as we'd planned it to be. We had about 500 odd guests. We had massive food counters. I am particularly excited about food. That was my only sort of important thing that I was <laughs> focusing on. I need the food to be great at my wedding. I couldn't care less about the decorations. I couldn't care less about the seating. My wife uh, did care about all of that a lot. 
Um, so our wedding day was, it, it was amazing. It was beautiful. On the day of the wedding, we had an event coordinator who kind of makes sure that everything runs along smoothly because you're not only looking at the celebration aspect of it, uh, the guests to be taken care of, then there are the rituals and the prayer ceremonies, uh, all of that. So you do need an event coordinator that kind of takes care of all of that. It's a big day, but all of that goes in a blur, really. And you can only remember pieces of it. You can't remember all of it when it's gone by. I think my invite got lost in the mail, Ishan. How many outfit changes did your bride have that day? So on the day of the wedding, she just had one outfit. But when we're talking about the wedding, we absolutely need to know that wedding events are not a single day event. They start off four days before the wedding. You'll have different ceremonies. You'll have... Most families would have an event dedicated only to singing and dancing. Then you'd have another one. You would apply henna on the hands of the bride, on the hands of the groom. There's, again, a lot of singing and dancing on that day. Then there are some cultural festivities. Uh, So this all begins three or four days before the wedding. And if you look at the total number of clothes that she had to buy for this entire sequence of events, they were nearly a dozen. What? Oh my goodness. Okay. I didn't expect that. Neha, speaking of wedding attire, looking for those perfect outfits, it's a big part of the process too, right? You went to a market in New Delhi that still stands head and shoulders above the rest because of its history. Tell me about that. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, uh, just picking up from where Ishan left off, it's not just the bride who's buying, you know, so many outfits. It's the groom. It's the bride's parents, the bride's sisters, the groom's parents, the groom's sisters. And all of this can cost a lot of money. It can set you back by, you know, a big amount. So this is where the market that you're talking about comes in. It's called Chandni Chok. It's located in the heart of New Delhi. It's a 17th century market um, that has been around forever. It's it, it was set up by Shah Jahan for his daughter. He was a Mughal um, emperor and it's right across from Red Fort. And it's also where, you know, a lot of foreign tourists will get their first taste of what old Delhi looks like. When you get there, it's absolute chaos. You know, all the cliches you hear about India, about the sound, about the noise, about the people, about the smell. It hits you all at once. I mean, I've lived in Delhi for what, over a decade now. And every time I go there, it still catches me off guard because it's so densely packed. And it's a thing of beauty because these are these narrow lanes that are packed cheek by jowl with shops that will sell you everything from food to wedding attire to perfumes to books to jewelry. I mean, you name it and you'll find it here. So it's very helpful for wedding shopping. It's actually where I also went seven years ago to do my wedding shopping from because uh, you can find beautiful, exquisite Indian dresses for a budget. I bought something that was I think one third of the budget that I had outlined for myself. And I loved my wedding dress. I mean, I still look back at the photos with so much fondness. So I'll always be grateful to Chandni Chalk for that. And this is where we also spoke to one particular boutique owner who, you know, makes these bespoke wedding outfits for brides. And um, he calls himself a local Indian designer shop. And Uh, What they're trying to do is they're trying to sell designer knockoffs because, you know, with the rise of an aspirational middle class in India, people want to look like Bollywood stars. They want to have those grand weddings, but obviously you can't pay for those uh, expensive dresses. So this is where these shops come in. But as you can imagine, competition is fierce and there are so many shops here to choose from. So listen into what Shiva Marora, the owner of that shop, told me. 
Competition is tough, others only sell copies, but we are an Indian boutique. We have the concept that we are selling creative stuff. We operate on small margins. Unlike designers who have 100% markups, we keep ours as low as 10 to 15%. And Ishan, did you head to that market too when you were preparing? Absolutely. It's a pilgrimage that you have to make if you're getting married. (laughs) It's a massive, massive market as Neha described. The only thing that kind of catches you off guard apart from its density, apart from all the madness, is the sheer variety of things that they have. My wife and I, we ended up spending over our budget because we ended up liking way too many things. We at the time didn't think we could afford, but you know, we managed somehow. Uh, Just the sheer variety of things, the quality is pretty great. And what Neha was saying about them being inspired heavily by Bollywood fashion, that gives you that feeling of being that, you know, special hero or heroine on the day of your wedding. It's your big day. So you want a part of that as well. You know, I love weddings. I really love attending them. But planning them, that's a different story, okay? And if you were speaking honestly, Ishan, how stressful is an Indian wedding from the expectations to the expenses? What would you say is the most challenging part of this process? In terms of stress, on a scale of 0 to 10, it's a 20. Uh, You start (laughs) planning way in advance. We started planning about a year before our wedding. So you have to get your bookings in very, very early. You have to bag the right caterer. I'll give you a quick anecdote to finalize our caterer for the wedding. My wedding is in Varanasi, which is my hometown. I live in Delhi, about 800 kilometers away. To finalize the caterer, I flew from Delhi to Varanasi in the morning. Then I drove for another 150 kilometers to a party where the caterer was catering to try his food. And then I caught a flight back from Varanasi to Delhi just because we wanted to get that particular caterer. The photographers these days won't won't just cover the day of your wedding. They're also responsible for these pre-wedding photo shoots where bride and groom, they can have their own slice of a cinematic theatrical video production made just for them. Uh, It's again, it all seems and looks very much inspired by how Bollywood behaves and that informs how people want to design their weddings to a very large degree. Wow, that's incredible. I wish your wife was part of this podcast too, Ishan. By some estimates, 10 million weddings take place every year in India, sometimes generating tens of billions of dollars in a single month. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to find out where is all this money coming from. More with Neha and Ishan after this. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early perhaps? Or advice on big ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car? I'm Andrea Hing, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks. And these are some of the things we find out for you. Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. Welcome back, guys. Uh, Neha, when I saw your report, I was thinking... 
Inflation? What happened to inflation in this situation? How are people paying for these weddings? And I know these couples are often young. They're in their 20s. How can they afford all of this? So in India, there's no concept of young people paying for their own weddings. It's completely unheard of. I think some people still contribute now, especially in cities. Like if you've been working for a while, you can afford it, you'll pitch in. But it's usually your parents who pay the bill, which is why sometimes you get very little say in how the wedding is planned. You know, how many events you want to have, how many guests you'll call. And like I was telling you earlier, sometimes parents start saving when their children are born. A lot of parents do take loans for their children's weddings as well because it is a socio-economic indicator of how well to do your family is. So you don't want to spare any expense. But, you know, this is where you spend intelligently. They'll not spend perhaps a lot of money on the outfit. They'll go to a place like Changi Chok. But like Ishan was saying, they'll, they'll spend good money on the food. They'll spend good money on the venue because that's where, you know, you're going to spend the entire evening having fun with your family and friends. That looks nice. So it's it's also an exercise in budgeting intelligently, but there's been a slight change. I think before the pandemic, people would spend a lot more money on everything. But after the pandemic, you know, the industry was hit. A lot of people were also hit economically. So now many of these vendors are telling me that the demands have changed, especially for these wedding boutiques. People are wanting a lot more and a lot less. But like Ishan was saying, it's also aspirational. They want to feel like Bollywood heroines and heroes. So they also want to look nice, but on a budget. But, you know, this is India. You'll always find a shop or a vendor or someone who's willing to help you figure that out. So it's it's possible, I think, because there's variety, because there's so many people working in this informal industry, that it's it's possible to find <laughs> what you're looking for just needs a little more preparation. Yeah, while you were talking, Ishan was smiling and nodding there. (laughs) So many people trying to get your money, Ishan. What was the difference maker in terms of vendors, businesses that you decided to work with? What did you look for? First of all, you're looking for experience. You're looking for vendors who've got a lot of experience in organizing weddings and decking up your venue. If you're looking for a photographer, you are looking for their portfolio. It's it sounds a lot like you are trying to run a company than it sounds like you're trying to arrange, you know, make preparations <laughs> for your wedding. There's a lot of due diligence that goes into uh, searching for the right vendors. The Chani Chalk folks, those uh, people who've been there, there's also this element of how old their shops are. And they would take a lot of pride in telling you that they've been in the business for over a century. And a lot of the people who are looking for these dresses would sometimes head to these very old shops because of the prestige of that shop. As some people might have heard of a startup called Wed Me Good. They will take care of all your event preparations. They'll hire a photographer for you. So it's becoming a bit more uh, new generation. People are trying to do things very differently. And because of that, the vendors are also now trying to market their products in a different way. They're trying to reach that young audience that's not hearing about the uh, vendors through word of mouth. They're Googling them. They're looking them up on Instagram. And because of that social media marketing, that's become a huge thing uh, in the Indian wedding industry as well. Mr. Shiva Marora, let's listen into him once again. He talks about this aspect of the business. We don't spend a lot on traditional marketing, but we reach out to social media influencers who promote shops like ours and our work. A lot of young girls follow them and buy clothes based on their suggestions. And speaking of doing things differently, Neha, uh, looking ahead, what do you think future trends will be when it comes to Indian nuptials? 
I think there is significant pushback from the younger generation. They don't want to do things like they were done all of these years. One interesting thing that I've noticed, uh, you know, some of the friends that got married a few years ago, they don't want to have a male priest if they can uh, avoid it. They want to have a female priest to wed them. Many of them are doing away with some of the traditional patriarchal vows that are part of the wedding ceremony. Many people are very conscious about waste at Indian weddings because these are five-day um, affairs, you know, you have catering at every single event. So some people are tying up with NGOs to ensure that that food is then given to communities who might, you know, benefit from that instead of throwing all of that food away. There is a push to also have eco-friendly, uh, environmentally conscious weddings as well, uh, cutting down on your carbon footprint. But I think these are also notions limited to urban areas. Uh, and a majority of the country, about 60% lives in rural India. So I think over there, we'll still see you know, tradition being king. But in cities, change is afoot. And before we go, Ishan, I want you to give me your best piece of advice for someone who might be about to plan their own wedding. Is it just to accept whatever your wife says she wants? <laughs> yeah, it's to accept whatever your wife wants. It's to, to accept whatever your parents <laughs> want. It's to accept whatever your wife's parents want. Because everybody's involved in it. It's your day, sure. It's very important for you, sure. But for a lot of Indian families, it's a lifetime event for them as well. So especially with my wedding, I felt like they should have a big say in how the event goes. If you're trying to plan an Indian style wedding, my first piece of advice would be take loads of time. You can't start preparing for an Indian wedding at the last minute. Nothing will be done at the drop of a hat. You need time to deal with people. You need time to deal with your own family. And when you're inviting a thousand guests over, you need to give them a very, very long notice so that they can be there on your big day. Wow, just incredible. I really enjoyed this conversation, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Too, Thanks so, so much, Lisa. It was good to walk down memory lane and um, be grateful that a lot of the things that Ishan's talking about weren't a problem for me seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, simplicity is beautiful, right? Neha Punya and Ishan Garg speaking to me from New Delhi. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30pm. Catch up with them anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert and me, Teresa Tang. Until next time. <laughs>